Part fifteen of Hard Times by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. From Household Words, a weekly journal. Saturday, July the eighth, eighteen fifty four. Chapter twenty five. Mrs. Sparsett, lying by to recover the tone of her nerves in Mr. Bounderby's retreat, kept such a sharp lookout night and day under her Coriolanian eyebrows that her eyes, like a couple of lighthouses on an iron-bound coast, might have warned all prudent mariners from that bold rock, her Roman nose, and the dark and craggy region in its neighbourhood, but for the placidity of her manner. Although it was hard to believe that her retiring for the night could be anything but a form, so severely wide awake were those classical eyes of hers, and so impossible did it seem that her rigid nose could yield to any relaxing influence. Yet her manner of sitting, smoothing her uncomfortable, not to say gritty mittens, they were constructed of a cool fabric like a meat safe, or of ambling to unknown places of destination with her foot in her cotton stirrup, were so perfectly serene that most observers would have been constrained to suppose her a dove, embodied by some freak of nature in the earthly tabernacle of a bird of the hook-beaked order. She was a most wonderful woman for prowling about the house. How she got from story to story was a mystery beyond solution. A lady so decorous in herself, and so highly connected, was not to be suspected of dropping over the banisters or sliding down them. Yet her extraordinary facility of locomotion suggested the wild idea. Another noticeable circumstance in Mrs. Sparsett was that she was never hurried. She would shoot with consummate velocity from the roof to the hall, yet would be in full possession of her breath and dignity on the moment of her arrival there. Neither was she ever seen by human vision to go at a great pace. She took very kindly to Mr. Harthouse, and had some pleasant conversation with him soon after her arrival. She made him stately curtsy in the garden one morning before breakfast. "'It appears but yesterday, sir,' said Mrs. Sparsett, "'that I had the honour of receiving you at the bank when you were so good.' as to wish to be made acquainted with Mr. Bounderby's address. "'An occasion, I am sure, not to be forgotten by myself in the course of ages,' said Mr. Harthouse, inclining his head to Mrs. Sparsett, with the most indolent of all possible airs. "'We live in a singular world, sir,' said Mrs. Sparsett. "'I have had the honour, by a coincidence of which I am proud, to have made a remark similar in effect, though not so epigrammatically expressed.' A singular world, I would say, sir, pursued Mrs. Sparsett, after acknowledging the compliment with a drooping of her dark eyebrows, not altogether so mild in its expression as her voice was in its dulcet tones. As regards the intimacies we form at one time, with individuals we were quite ignorant of at another. I recall, sir, on that occasion, you went so far as to say you were actually apprehensive of Miss Gradgrind. "'Your memory does me more honour than my insignificance deserves. "'I availed myself of your obliging hints to correct my timidity, "'and it is unnecessary to add that they were perfectly accurate. "'Mrs. Sparsett's talent for, in fact, for anything requiring accuracy, "'with a combination of strength of mind and family, "'is too habitually developed to admit of any question.' "'He was almost falling asleep over this compliment.' It took him so long to get through, and his mind wandered so much in the course of its execution. 
you have found mrs gradgrind i really cannot call her mrs branderby it's very absurd of me as youthful as i described her asked mrs sparsit sweetly you drew her portrait perfectly said mr harthouse presented her dead image very engaging sir said mrs sparsit causing her mittens slowly to revolve over one another highly so it used to be considered said mrs sparsit that miss gradgrind was wanting in animation but i confess she appears to me considerably and strikingly improved in that respect ay and indeed here is mr bounderby cried mrs sparsit nodding her head a great many times as if she had been talking and thinking of no one else how do you find yourself this morning sir pray let us see you cheerful sir now these persistent assuagements of his misery and lightenings of his load had by this time begun to have the effect of making mr bounderby softer than usual towards mrs sparsit and harder than usual to most other people from his wife downward so when mrs sparsit said with forced lightness of heart you want your breakfast sir but i dare say miss gradgrind will soon be here to preside at the table mr bounderby replied if i waited to be taken care of by my wife ma'am i believe you know pretty well i should wait till doomsday so i'll trouble you to take charge of the teapot mrs sparsit complied and assumed her old position at table this again made the excellent woman vastly sentimental she was so humble withal that when louisa appeared she rose protesting she could never think of sitting in that place under existing circumstances often as she had had the honour of making mr bounderby's breakfast before mrs gradgrind she begged pardon she meant to say miss bounderby she hoped to be excused but she really could not get it right yet though she trusted to become familiar with it by and by had assumed her present position it was only she observed because miss gradgrind happened to be a little late and mr bounderby's time was so very precious and she knew it of old to be so essential that he should breakfast to the moment that she had taken the liberty of complying with his request long as his will had been a law to her there stop where you are ma'am said mr bounderby stop where you are mrs bounderby will be very glad to be relieved of the trouble i believe don't say that sir returned mrs sparsit almost with severity because that is very unkind to mrs bounderby and to be unkind is not to be you sir you may set your mind at rest ma'am you can take it very quietly can't you lou said mr bounderby in a blustering way to his wife of course it's of no moment why should it be of any importance to me why should it be of any importance to anyone mrs sparsit ma'am said mr bounderby swelling with a sense of slight you attach too much importance to these things ma'am by george you'll be corrected in some of your notions here you're old-fashioned ma'am you're behind tom gradgrind's children's time what is the matter with you asked louisa coldly surprised what has given you offence offence repeated bounderby do you suppose if there was any offence given me i shouldn't name it and request to have it corrected i am a straightforward man i believe i don't go beating about for side-winds i suppose no one ever had occasion to think you too diffident or too delicate louisa answered him composedly i have never made that objection to you either as a child or as a woman 
i don't understand what you would have have returned mr bounderby nothing otherwise don't you lou bounderby know thoroughly well that i josiah bounderby of corktown would have it she looked at him as he struck the table and made the teacups ring with a proud colour in her face that was a new change mr harthouse thought you are incomprehensible this morning said louisa pray take no further trouble to explain yourself i am not curious to know your meaning what does it matter nothing more was said on this theme and mr harthouse was soon idly gay on indifferent subjects but from this day the sparsit action upon mr bounderby threw louisa and james harthouse more together and strengthened the dangerous alienation from her husband and confidence against him with another into which she had fallen by degrees so fine that she could not retrace them if she tried but whether she ever tried or no lay hidden in her own closed heart mrs sparsit was so much affected on this particular occasion that assisting mr bounderby to his hat after breakfast and being then alone with him in the hall she imprinted a chaste kiss upon his hand murmured my benefactor and retired overwhelmed with grief yet it is an indubitable fact within the cognizance of this history that five minutes after he had left the house in the self-same hat the same descendant of the scadgeses and connection by matrimony of the powlers shook her right-hand mitten at his portrait made a contemptuous grimace at that work of art and said serve you right you noodle and i'm glad of it mr bounderby had not been long gone when bitzer appeared bitzer had come down by train shrieking and rattling over the long line of arches that bestrode the wild country of past and present coal pits with an express from stone lodge it was a hasty note to inform louisa that mrs gradgrind lay very ill she had never been well within her daughter's knowledge but she had declined within the last few days and had continued sinking all through the night and was now as nearly dead as her limited capacity of being in any state that implied the ghost of an intention to get out of it allowed accompanied by the lightest of porters fit colourless servitor at death's door when mrs gradgrind knocked louisa rumbled to coketown over the coal pits past and present and was whirled into its smoky jaws she dismissed the messenger to his own devices and rode away to her old home she had seldom been there since her marriage her father was usually sifting and sifting at his parliamentary cinder heap in london without being observed to turn up many precious articles among the rubbish and was still hard at it in the national dust-yard her mother had taken it rather as a disturbance than otherwise to be visited as she reclined upon her sofa young people louisa felt herself all unfit for sissy she had never softened to again since the night when the stroller's child had raised her eyes to look at mr bounderby's intended wife she had no inducements to go back and had rarely gone neither as she approached her old home now did any of the best influences of old home descend upon her the dreams of childhood its airy fables its graceful beautiful humane impossible adornments of the world beyond so good to be believed in once so good to be remembered when outgrown for then the least among them rises to the statue of a great charity in the heart suffering little children to come into the midst of it and to keep with their pure hands a garden in the stony ways of this world 
wherein it were better for all the children of adam that they should often sun themselves simple and trustful and not worldly wise what had she to do with these remembrances of how she had journeyed to the little that she knew by the enchanted roads of what she and millions of innocent creatures had hoped and imagined of how first coming upon reason through the tender light of fancy she had seen it a beneficent god deferring to gods as great as itself not a grim idol cruel and cold with its victims bound hand to foot and its big dumb shape set up with a sightless stare never to be moved by anything but so many calculated tons of leverage what had she to do with these her remembrances of home and childhood were remembrances of the drying up of every spring and fountain in her young heart as it gushed out the golden waters were not there they were flowing for the fertilization of the land where grapes are gathered from thorns and figs from thistles she went with a heavy hardened kind of sorrow upon her into the house and into her mother's room since the time of her leaving home cissy had lived with the rest of the family on equal terms cissy was at her mother's side and jane her sister now ten or twelve years old was in the room there was a great trouble before it could be made known to mrs gradgrind that her eldest child was there she reclined propped up from mere habit on a couch as nearly in her old usual attitude as anything so helpless could be kept in she had positively refused to take to her bed on the ground that if she did she would never hear the last of it her feeble voice sounded so far away in her bundle of shawls and the sound of another voice addressing her seemed to take such a long time in getting down to her ears that she might have been lying at the bottom of a well the poor lady was nearer truth than she had ever been which had much to do with it on being told that mrs bounderby was there she replied at cross purposes that she had never called him by that name since he married louisa that pending her choice of an unobjectionable name she had called him jay and that she could not at present depart from that regulation not being yet provided with a permanent substitute louisa had sat by her for some minutes and had spoken to her often before she arrived at a clear understanding who it was she then seemed to come to it all at once well my dear said mrs gradgrind i hope you're going on satisfactorily to yourself it was all your father's doing he set his heart upon it and he ought to know i want to hear of you mother not myself you want to hear of me my dear that's something new i'm sure when anybody wants to hear of me not at all well louisa very faint and giddy are you in pain dear mother i think there's a pain somewhere in the room said mrs gradgrind but i couldn't positively say that i have got it at this strange speech she lay silent for some time louisa holding her hand could feel no pulse but kissing it could see a slight thin thread of life in fluttering motion you very seldom see your sister said mrs gradgrind she grows like you i wish you would look at her sissy bring her here she was brought and stood with her hand in her sister's louisa had observed her with her arm round sissy's neck and she felt the difference of this approach do you see the likeness louisa yes mother i should think her like me but eh yes i always say so mrs gradgrind cried with unexpected quickness 
and that reminds me i want to speak to you my dear sissy my good girl leave us alone a minute louisa had relinquished the hand had thought that her sister's was a better and brighter face than hers had ever been had seen in it not without a rising feeling of resentment even in that place and at that time something of the gentleness of the other face in the room the sweet face with the trusting eyes made paler than watching and sympathy made it by the rich dark hair left alone with her mother louisa saw her lying with an awful lull upon her face like one who was floating away upon some great water all resistance over content to be carried down the stream she put the shadow of a hand to her lips again and recalled her you are going to speak to me mother eh yes to be sure my dear you know your father is almost always away now and therefore i must write to him about it about what mother don't be troubled about what you must remember my dear that whenever i've said anything on any subject i've never heard the last of it and consequently that i've long left off saying anything i can hear you mother but it was only by dint of bending down her ear and at the same time attentively watching the lips as they moved that she could link such faint and broken sounds into any chain of connection you learnt a great deal louisa and so did your brother ologies of all kinds from morning to night if there's any ology left of any description that has not been worn to rags in this house all i can say is i hope i shall never hear its name i can hear you mother when you have strength to go on this to keep her from floating away but there's something not an ology at all that your father has missed or forgotten louisa i don't know what it is i've often sat with sissy near me and thought about it i shall never get its name now but your father may he makes me restless i want to write to him to find out for god's sake what it is give me a pen even the power of restlessness was gone except from the poor head which could just turn from side to side she fancied however that her request had been complied with and that the pen she could not have held was in her hand it matters little what figures of wonderful no meaning she began to trace upon her wrappers the hand soon stopped in the midst of them the light that had always been feeble and dim behind the weak transparency went out and even mrs gradgrind emerged from the shadow in which man walketh and disquieteth himself in vain took upon her the dread solemnity of the sages and patriarchs chapter twenty six mrs sparsett's nerves being slow to recover their tone the worthy woman made a stay of some weeks in duration at mr bounderby's retreat where notwithstanding her anchorite turn of mind based upon her becoming consciousness of her altered station she resigned herself with noble fortitude to lodging as one may say in clover and feeding on the fat of the land during the whole term of this recess from the guardianship of the bank mrs sparsett was a pattern of consistency continuing to take such pity on mr bounderby to his face as is rarely taken on man and to call his portrait a noodle to its face with the greatest acrimony and contempt mr bounderby having got it into his explosive composition that mrs sparsett was a highly superior woman to perceive that he had that general cross upon him in his deserts for he had not yet settled what it was 
and further that louisa would have objected to her as a frequent visitor if it had comported with his greatness that she should object to anything he chose to do resolved not to lose sight of mrs sparsit easily so when her nerves were strung up to the pitch of a game consuming sweetbreads in solitude he said to her at the dinner-table on the day before her departure i tell you what ma'am you shall come down here of a saturday while the fine weather lasts and stay till monday to which mrs sparsit returned in effect though not of the mahomedan persuasion to hear is to obey now mrs sparsit was not a poetical woman but she took an idea in the nature of an allegorical fancy into her head much watching of louisa and much consequent observation of her impenetrable demeanour which keenly whetted and sharpened mrs sparsit's edge must have given her as it were a lift in the way of inspiration she created in her mind a mighty staircase with a dark pit of shame and ruin at the bottom and down these stairs from day to day and hour to hour she saw louisa coming it became the business of mrs sparsit's life to look up at the staircase and to watch louisa coming down sometimes slowly sometimes quickly sometimes several steps at one bout sometimes stopping never turning back if she had once turned back it might have been the death of mrs sparsit in spleen and grief she had been descending steadily to the day and on the day when mr bounderby issued the weekly invitation recorded above mrs sparsit was in good spirits and inclined to be conversational and pray sir said she if i may venture to ask a question appertaining to any subject on which you show reserve which is indeed hardy in me for i well know you have a reason for everything you do have you received intelligence respecting the robbery why ma'am no not yet under the circumstances i didn't expect it yet rome wasn't built in a day ma'am very true sir said mrs sparsit shaking her head nor yet in a week ma'am no indeed sir returned mrs sparsit with an air of melancholy in a similar manner said bounderby i can wait you know if romulus and remus could wait josiah bounderby can wait they were better off in their youth than i was however they had a she-wolf for a nurse i only had a she-wolf for a grandmother she didn't give me any milk ma'am she gave bruises she was a regular old un at that oh mrs sparsit sighed and shuddered no ma'am continued bounderby i've not heard anything more about it it's in hand though and young tom who rather sticks to business at present something new for him he hadn't the schooling i had is helping my injunction is keep it quiet and let it seem to blow over do what you like under the rose but don't give a sign of what you're about or half a hundred of em will combine together and get this feller who has bolted out of reach for good keep it quiet and the thieves will grow in confidence little by little and we shall have em very sagacious indeed sir said mrs sparsit very interesting the old woman you mentioned sir the old woman i mentioned ma'am said bounderby cutting the matter short as it was nothing to boast about is not laid hold of but she may take her oath that she will be if that is any satisfaction to a villainous old mind in the meantime ma'am i am of the opinion if you ask me my opinion 
that the less she is talked about, the better. That same evening, Mrs. Sparsett in her chamber window, resting from her packing operations, looked towards her great staircase and saw Louisa still descending. She sat by Mr. Harthouse in an alcove in the garden, talking very low. He stood leaning over her as they whispered together, and his face almost touched her hair. "'If not quite,' said Mrs. Sparsett, straining her hawk's eyes to the utmost. Mrs. Sparsett was too distant to hear a word of their discourse, or even to know that they were speaking softly, otherwise than from the expression of their figures. But what they said was this. "'You recollect the man, Mr. Harthouse?' "'Oh, perfectly. His face and his manner, and what he said. Perfectly. And an infinitely dreary person he appeared to me to be. Lengthy and prosy in the extreme. It was very knowing to hold forth in the humble virtue school of eloquence. But I assure you, I thought at the time, my good fellow, you are overdoing this. It has been very difficult for me to think ill of that man. My dear Louisa, as Tom says, which he never did say, you know no good of the fellow. No, certainly. Nor of any other such person. How can I? she returned with more of her first manner on her than he had lately seen, when I know nothing of them, men or women. My dear Mrs. Bounderby, then consent to receive the submissive representation of your devoted friend, who knows something of several varieties of his excellent fellow-creatures. For excellent they are, I have no doubt, in spite of such little foibles as always helping themselves to what they can get hold of. This fellow talks. Well, every fellow talks. His professing morality only deserves a moment's consideration as being a very suspicious circumstance. All sorts of humbugs profess morality from the House of Commons to the House of Correction, except our people. It really is that exception which makes our people quite reviving. You saw and heard the case. Here was a common man, pulled up extremely short by my esteemed friend Mr. Bounderby, who, as we know, is not possessed of that delicacy which would soften so tight a hand. The common man was injured, exasperated, left the house grumbling, met somebody who proposed to him to go in for some share in this bank business, went in, put something in his pocket which had nothing in it before, and relieved his mind extremely. Really, he would have been an uncommon, instead of a common man, if he had not availed himself of such an opportunity, or he may have made it altogether, if he had the cleverness, equally probable. "'I almost feel as though it must be bad in me,' returned Louisa, after sitting thoughtful a while, "'to be so ready to agree with you, and to be so lightened in my heart by what you say. "'I only say what is reasonable. Nothing worse. I've talked it over with my friend Tom more than once. Of course, I remain on terms of perfect confidence with Tom, and he is quite of my opinion, and I am quite of his. Will you walk?' They strode away among the lanes, beginning to be indistinct in the twilight, she leaning on his arm, and she little thought how she was going down, down, down Mrs. Sparsett's staircase. Night and day, Mrs. Sparsett kept it standing. When Louisa had arrived at the bottom and disappeared in the gulf, it might fall in upon her if it would, but until then, there it was to be, a building, before Mrs. Sparsett's eyes and there Louisa always was upon it, always gliding down, down, down. Mrs. Sparsett saw James Harthouse come and go, 
she heard of him here and there she saw the changes of the face he had studied she too remarked to a nicety how and when it clouded how and when it cleared she kept her black eyes wide open with no touch of pity with no touch of compunction all absorbed in interest but in the interest of seeing her ever drawing with no hand to stay her nearer and nearer to the bottom of this new giant staircase with all her deference for mr bounderby as contradistinguished from his portrait mrs sparsit had not the smallest intention of interrupting the descent eager to see it accomplished and yet patient she waited for the last fall as for the ripeness and fullness of the harvest of her hopes hushed in expectancy she kept her wary gaze upon the stairs and seldom so much as darkly shook her right mitten with her fist in it at the figure coming down end of part fifteen